Welcome to You Don't Have to Explain, a podcast that traces a single poem from where it starts to whether it ever ends. I'm your host, James Fujinami Moore. Michael Torres was born and brought up in Pomona, California. His first collection, An Incomplete List of Names, was a winner of the National Poetry Series. Currently, he teaches in the MFA program at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and through the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop. Today, he's here to talk about his poem, Doing Donuts in an 87 Mustang 5.0, After My Homie Chris Gets Broken Up With. In this episode, you'll hear about the memories, both real and imagined, that inspired the initial lines, the way the work transformed in editing, and how car culture and masculinity informed Torres' larger work. Finally, you'll hear him read the poem in its entirety. If you'd like to follow along, the text is in the show notes. And if you want to skip ahead, the reading is at 1327. Now, in his own words, here's Michael. I'm Michael Torres, and the poem is Doing Donuts in an 87 Mustang 5.0 After My Homie Chris Gets Broken Up With. The first moment of the poem came in the image where the 5.0, the Mustang is spinning and doing circles and basically doing donuts. I sort of have this memory. The memory is sort of out of chronological order because it has to do with two different events. There's the one where there's this guy, Chris, who's off doing donuts in this high school soccer field. And then there's Chris as the person that I know who got broken up with so he dated one of my best friends growing up and I just remember like sometime around where she broke up with him he wanted to go for like a joyride with his car and he took one of my friends with him I wasn't in the car but in the poem me or the speaker is in the car and I got stuck on this idea of this car just spinning like just this image of this car going in circles in this field the poem basically started from that image and then moved outward and then had a bunch of different revisions but that's where it initially started with the car spinning around. That image has always sort of stuck with me, but it's, you know, you write other things and then other poems come up and take priority because you end up chipping away at them. But that image had been always in the back of my mind. This poem came very late in the process of writing the whole first book. It was kind of like, I want to like, solve this image or approach this image through a poem before I like complete the book. Question I had for that poem was why is a car spinning? Why is this person doing donuts? And then later on it became why am I slash why is the speaker here and what is their job to witness this? And I think that's what I struggled with the most in the poem is the relationship between the speaker and Chris and why the speaker was there at all. For some reason, I have a lot of memories of young men being upset in cars or in vehicles, upset over like heartbreak or heartache. And so I think I was using Chris and this Mustang, but it was also like my homie Jesse and his 98 Tahoe. The things that are changed are to fit what the poem needs. Vehicles are so important because they become extensions of not only who we are, but how we move through the world and how we see ourselves by the way we talk about our cars and how we treat our cars. 
I used to go a lot of like car shows with my friends and be more interested in like the people who own the cars, wondering about why they did a certain thing to a car, you know, whether that was like hydraulics or just really big, you know, elaborate sound systems in their trunk, you know, this idea of like wanting to be heard. And, and that same friend of mine, I remember him one time saying like, if your speakers don't bump loud enough so that it annoys the car next to you at the traffic light so that they have to put their window up, then your speakers aren't loud enough. And I thought that was like really, you know, saying a lot about the way young men, maybe young brown men or men of color walk through this life and want their presence to be felt to reverberate through this life. My relationship with the speaker is kind of how my relationship with every speaker of my poems the speaker of my poems is usually a lot braver than I am because in the real story like someone else went with Chris to do donuts and I just stayed behind because whatever reason I you know what I mean and in this one like for some reason the speaker is someone that Chris wants to be there with him in an earlier revision of the poem it mentions how Chris came over to the speaker's house and picked him up and there was this sort of unspoken thing where the speaker knew what had happened with Chris but I cut that out because I just wanted to stay in the moment. All that to say, the speaker is someone more willing than I was or knew or could sense something more than I could back then when I was 16 or whatever. I feel like every speaker in my poem is a sort of persona of me. Of course, it's not exactly me because I'm here with you talking. I want it to feel as real as possible. As far as revisions, I probably have maybe between four and five major revisions. But the way I save revisions is like, I might have doing donuts one, and then I might have doing donuts one A because it's not that different, but there's something that's different. And then doing donuts two will be like a big shift. And so I think there's really four or five major shifts where I'm moving in different directions. And then in between all those, there are several minor things that might be changed, whether it, it's a word or something in the title. So probably four or five major revisions were done to the poem. In the initial versions of the poem, I wasn't satisfied with what my speaker was doing there. I think I remember one revision where I was teaching like an art session somewhere, I don't remember where. We were doing collaging and I like, I was doing the collaging with the students and then I basically use my collage to help me revise the Doing Donuts poem. That's when you know that I was just desperate to shake things up and, and get some sort of answers as to why the speaker's doing, why he's where he is. But I think that's what took so long is that through the revisions I saw, it was more about what the speaker's supposed to be doing or not supposed to be doing in the poem. Even between the published online version and the final version that's in the book, the thing that's taken out is the last line where the speaker mentions what he wants to say. And I took that out because I, I don't know, I didn't want my speaker to have any sort of judgment about the friend. He just, he wanted to sort of accept what the friend was going through, even if the friend was being masculine in an unhealthy way. Like the speaker just wanted him to express it and not want to like cut that feeling off. Well, at least where I come from, men aren't too good at dealing with love and their feelings. But underneath that is a sort of loyalty to each other with young men. I was looking at that, but I think I got too, I don't know if critical is the 
word, but I was explaining too much of that in the poem for many different revisions. I zoomed out and then I had to zoom back into specific images instead of trying to explain away like, this is why we are who we are. Those revisions might have come partly because I was starting to see that the poem could fit into the book. And in a way, I was trying to explain the poem into the book without letting it do its own thing over time. That's why it took several months to actually get it to somewhere where it would be ready for publication. I do think the poem is finished now, but I feel either embarrassed to say it's because the book is now published and in print. Whereas when it was published online before the book was out, there was like still in my mind, a possibility to like change it. But I also want to say that I knew that it wasn't entirely done. It was really close, but it was still not entirely done when it was published online. I didn't think it was done when it was published online because there's one line, it might be the penultimate line, but it's where the speaker is saying something about, I'm here to say like, you're crazy instead of something else. And I felt that that line in a way, it passed judgment on Chris, but it also told us a little bit too much about what the speaker wanted. And I was trying really hard not to have that be stated when I took that line out and all you had left before and after that was the speaker sort of yelling, fuck it. That's the only thing I think he says in the poem. He, he yells that sort of as an acknowledgement of Chris's wild behavior. And then it proceeds to the final line, I disappear the pennies with my fist in a way that showed like he himself is disappearing by not saying anything and allowing Chris to be himself for better or for worse. But he does so with his fist, which is a very violent sort of move and also shows if you're like really scared, you just clench your fists. I just wanted to like show that as much as I could in an image without really saying it out loud. I think a lot of the times that's how men actually communicate by body language and by how we move through the world instead of like by just saying it. He's like, fuck it. And it's a very dangerous thing to say because he's scared and he just says like, okay, if you're going to go through with this, I'll go through with this with you. And I think that's all that Chris wants. And the speaker knows that, but the speaker actually just wants Chris to slow down and go home, <laughs> and, but he can't say it. So he's, he, he knows he can't say it. And the only thing he can kind of do is like, hold these things and hold them really tight, just like pray that it gets better. <laughs> I used to be more okay with instability and I'm, I have to have a stable sort of life and I wanna have a stable life. But like back then, it was so exciting not to have any stability. Everything was so immediate and alive that you couldn't back then see, you couldn't ask like, well, why not? You know, like you just, you did it because why not? But now like older, you're like, oh yeah, that was bad. You didn't want to look that far ahead. You couldn't, I don't think you could, I could never look that far ahead. Any time between probably 16 and 24, 25, I couldn't really look that far ahead. I think I realized that this would be the first poem in the book pretty late in the game. And honestly, it was between that poem, the donuts poem and the second poem which is the first all-American Mexican poem in the book. It was between those two poems. I was going back and forth with a couple different writer friends who were telling me, one was saying, do the all-American Mexican one, and one was saying, no, do the donuts one. And I ended up picking the donuts one because 
one in a way it's a short poem which is a good way to introduce the collection to someone who just picks it up in the bookstore and looks at the first poem and that's what that writer said and so i was like that's a really good point point. and in another way the poem it kind of sets you up with what the rest of the book is going to be about all those concerns and themes in that first poem there's also like a really weird I don't know what to call it. I didn't notice it until after I put the whole book together and had that as the first poem that I saw that the first and last poem both have horses, the Mustang and then the horses poem. And they're both about how to deal with love. In the first poem, the speaker is like looking at Chris and thinking about how he's dealing with love. And in the horses poem, the speaker themselves is trying to deal with love or not love anymore. And so I thought that was a odd book in that life. I don't know, it tickled me, I guess. I thought it was like, oh, this is like a weird, cool thing. And I was like, okay, that settles it. I'll leave it like that. I've been thinking lately that the reason why I write poems is because I get to say all these things on the page and to people without actually having to speak them until I'm at a reading and there's an audience who wants to be there. There are certain things I get to say here that I couldn't to like my friends growing up for whatever reason. But I had all these things that I wanted to say, I wanted to like acknowledge and show and poetry kind of allows me to do that. The poem is sort of a display of that and proof, I suppose, that it happens like this. And now to read his poem, here's Michael Torres. Doing donuts in an 87 Mustang 5.0 after my homie Chris gets broken up with. I want to argue for the stars, but I find them missing through this window splattered with mud. Tonight, I sit shoddy and do not ask Chris if he's okay. This is the kind of loyalty I know, how the Mustang makes eights across the soccer field. I run my hand over Penny's Pepsi to the center console. That photo of his ex still blocks the speedometer, and the next few years of his life have already begun to carve a cave. I pluck pennies into my palm. It doesn't take long for this story to burn through the field. The safety belt shocks my collar. Chris turns and aims for a gate without easing off the gas. I yell fuck it to whatever I can't hear him say. And isn't that why I'm here? To watch chain links swell in his headlights. I disappear the pennies with my fist. That was Michael Torres reading Doing Donuts in an 87 Mustang 5.0 After My Homie Chris Gets Broken Up With, first published in The Offing in October 2019. His work can be found at michaeltorreswriter.com. For more episodes of You Don't Have to Explain, subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening, or visit us at our website, youdonthavetoexplain.com. I've been your host, James Fujinami Moore. Thanks for listening.